I have all the time in the world tonight. Somebody wants to. You know, you may not be, you may be sitting here and you may not be the shouting, crying, hallelujah type outwardly, but there's probably something in your heart kind of right now wishing that you were. Huh? Maybe tonight you can go ahead and try it for the first time. You might like it. You might like it. Praise the Lord. He's good to us, isn't he? What a great God. Good to be saved. Good to be saved. Sister, I got saved when I was seven years old. I'm not 67, but I got saved when I was seven years old. September the 27th, 1976. Back bedroom, a little white country frame house on Muskogee Road in Cantonment, Florida. It's a Thursday night. And um, <laughs> that night for the first time, I've been in Sunday school since two weeks old, but that night for the first time, God spoke to me yes. Yes. and um, told me I need to get saved. Yes. Yes. And I remember going down the hallway, knocking on my parents' door, and um, My mom and dad come down to the bedroom, and I could see it in my mind. I could see it right now. I could, I could see it. I, I believe I could take you within two feet of where I knelt at that bed, and my mama was across the bed, and dad was at the foot of the bed, and he had that big, thick black Bible laying in there. I couldn't tell you all the prayer. Couldn't recite the words. All I knew that night is I was a sinner and he was a savior. And um, that night he saved me. You'll never get over that. You'll never get over that. You know, the Lord, the devil used to bother me because I was raised in a preacher's home and wasn't involved in a lot of sin outwardly. So my life didn't change so drastically. It's not like I went and got a haircut and quit drinking. I didn't do that stuff before. But oh, what my life would have been. It sure did change the direction of my life. Sure did change the desires of my life. My experience may not be, be as, um, as exciting as your experience. It'll never make unshackled, but it's my experience. It is my story is what it is. <laughs> I haven't traded anything for it. Well, let me say I've enjoyed being here. I thank you, Pastor, and you for allowing me to come once more and have a part in this meeting. And um, plan to be back, of course, for the Jubilee in March. Looking forward to that. Amen. And I love coming here. I love coming to your church. I love the spirit here. I believe that the Lord has allowed me to pastor one of the greatest churches in America. I say that because some of them are probably watching right now. But um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm serious. God's, God's let me pastor a great, great church. But then he lets me go to some great churches around the country and preach in. And this is one of them, and I'm grateful to be here. 
And I'll get in the truck tonight and head down the road and I'll always leave and I'll always think. You know, I went supposed to be a blessing. But I really believe I got the blessing. I really believe it. And so I don't know if you got anything out of the meeting, but I sure did. And, um, and I, I'm supposed to be in control of my emotions, but sometimes that's kind of hard to do, ain't it? Some fellas hadn't sang that song and messed us up. We'd have been okay. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done, all of your hospitality. Thank you for the meals. And uh, boy, every night, every night the food has been tremendous, just fantastic. Tonight, I ate that smoked chicken, and I knew, I knew, I got to preach in an hour. Better leave it alone. But I couldn't. So I went back and got more of that smoked chicken. And I'm wishing I hadn't now, but I did. And so y'all pray for me. Second Kings chapter 11 tonight. I've been working on something for the week, and I've I'm going to use you as a guinea pig tonight. I've never preached this anywhere. So we'll try it tonight. And it's just the thought that the Lord has on my heart for the last couple of days. Second Kings chapter number 11 and verse number 1. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. Athaliah did reign over the land. A couple of nights ago, we looked at chapter 10, one incident in the reign of Jehu. Jehu was the king for 28 years. He began with a very bloody coup against the wicked house of Ahab. Ahab had been dead for 12 years, but his sons and his wife continued to wield their influence over the nation, and God chose Jehu to be the executioner. And we didn't tell the entire story of Jehu, just that one part, but Jehu was a king that started out strong, but he ended up weak. His zeal for the Lord, is what we looked at, was something to be admired, but his spirit was greatly lacking. Because if you read the rest of chapter 10, while he did rid the nation of Baal worship, he tolerated other false religions like the worship of the golden calves because that touched a lot closer to his home. I've got a message on the Jehu spirit. We'll not preach it tonight. But the Jehu spirit is that I'll preach against your sin, but don't preach against mine. I'll tear down your idols, but don't you touch my idols. And so we're not dealing with that subject tonight, but when you read these Old Testament stories, of course we are first reading Old Testament Jewish history. It is first a historical record of their kings and their prophets and their battles and their exploits. And the history is there because the Jews are God's chosen people. This is where the Messiah is going to come from. 
But you understand that when you read those stories, there are so many life principles that are hidden underneath the surface. And so while it is history, it is really more than history. When you read, for example, about the spirit of Jehu, it's not just to tell you what kind of man he was, but to tell you what kind of man you should not be. Well, in the second Kings chapter 11, there is a story that highlights, highlights one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. It's a time of treachery and treason. The entire line of Judah is threatened to be wiped out. In fact, every legal descendant of the throne is killed by a wicked woman except for one baby boy. And what God does is God uses certain people to preserve the life of that boy and thus preserve the seed of Judah. And that little boy will one day become king and will become one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. It's a fascinating story. I've been reading it all week. And so tonight, it's the only thing that's on my heart. And so tonight, I want to tell you the story of 1 2 Kings chapter 11, but I want to tell you the story behind the story. It's more than a story. So when I look at 2 Kings chapter 11 and I try to break it down, the, the first thing that I, I want you to recognize are the major characters. As we read through these verses, there are several names. Some of them you may be familiar with, some perhaps not. There are four major characters and two men and two women. Both of the women are older. One of the men is old. One of the other men is really just a baby. Here's the main characters. The first one, look in verse number one. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah. Now some read that and they, they read that as Athaliah. Some read it as Athaliah. Tonight it'll be Athaliah. The next time I preach it, it might be Athaliah. But tonight we'll just call her Athaliah, all right? And the most important thing to know about Athaliah is she is a very wicked woman. She is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. She has somehow escaped the purge of Jehu. And she's learned everything she knows from her mother. She is as wicked as Jezebel. And with her home life, how she came up, you could imagine that she couldn't turn out any differently than she did. Now, when Athalia got old enough to marry, she married a man named Jehoram. Now, say with these names. Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah he was a godly king. He was a great king. He loved God. He did right. And Jehoram, when he became the king of Judah, he started out as a good king. But then he married Athaliah, and everything went downhill from there. I'm sure it was a political marriage. The king of one kingdom, the queen of another kingdom coming together in marriage, and maybe they thought they could merge those two nations back together, but good Jehoram marries wicked Athaliah. Now, I want you to hold your finger right here. We're going to do just a little bit of background, and then I, I promise you we'll preach in just a minute, but I want you to go to 2 Chronicles 21. This is the parallel passage. And 2 Chronicles 21, and look at verse number 5. Jehoram was 32 years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. 
He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab the wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He marries the daughter of Ahab. He becomes king when he's 32. He reigns for eight years, and he's a wicked king. He's got a godly father, but he's influenced by an evil wife. Now, when Jehoram died, the men decided to make his youngest son Ahaziah the king. You're in 2 Chronicles, look at chapter 22. Verse number one, the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his stead, for the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had slain all the elders. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned 42 years old, was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. So Ahaziah begins to reign. He's no better than his father. He's 22 when he begins to reign, and he reigns one year, and he dies. That means that Athaliah has lost her husband, and she has now lost her son. Come back to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings 11, verse 1, I'm going to tell you, the mother of Ahaziah, we just read about him, saw that her son was dead. She has lost her husband. Her son becomes the king at 22, but he dies one year into that. So here's what Athaliah decides to do in verse number 1. When she saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. She said, if my son can't be king, then I'll see it that no son can be king. I'll destroy every potential heir to the throne. That's a failure. There's a second character that you've got to recognize, and it's in verse two, but Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat turns out to be one of the finest ladies in all of the Old Testament. She is going to be as heroic and brave as Athaliah is cunning and evil. But here's what's strange. Look at verse 2. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah. What is strange is that she is the daughter of of Joram and Athaliah. She's also the sister of Ahaziah. That 22-year-old boy that reigns for one year and then he dies, that's her brother. And I don't know how she did this, but she turns out so much differently than her mother and than her brother. So you have Athaliah, you have, a, you have Jehoshaphat. Here's the third character I want you to recognize. And look, if you would, in, in, in verse number two. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. When Athaliah went on that killing spree and decided that no male living heirs are going to come to the throne, if my son can't be king, then no son is going to be king, Jehoshaphat didn't go along with that. He said, I don't agree with what my mother's doing. And I'm not going to be a part of this. So she goes into where all the carnage is taking place and there is one little baby boy that somehow was overlooked and is still living and his name is Joash and he is the son 
of Ahaziah. He's the son of Ahaziah. Now, now keep this straight. Keep this straight. I'm going somewhere. Othelia, wicked queen mother, wicked mother. Her husband Jehoram dies, sets his son on the throne. One year he dies. She gets bitter, starts taking vengeance on anybody who could possibly king. Her daughter, Jehoshaphat, intervenes, rescues a baby boy named Joash, who is the son of Ahaziah. Wait a minute. If Ahaziah is Athaliah's son, then Joash is her grandson. If Jehoshaphat and Ahaziah, if that's, his, if that's her brother, Joash is her nephew. Athaliah, this wicked queen, is killing her own family her own sons and her grandsons and Jehoshaphat, the daughter, plays the hero's role and she secretly steals Joash away and hides him in the temple for seven years and for seven years, very few people even know that he exists. So you have Athaliah, you have Jehoshaphat, you have Joash, the baby. There's a fourth character. Look in verse number four. In the seventh year, Jehoiada, Jehoiada, who's Jehoiada? Jehoiada is the priest of that day. And I'll tell you, he was a good priest. And he didn't agree with what the queen was doing, but he didn't have the power to stop her. So Jehoiada, the priest, is going to play a part in the story by taking care of that baby for the next seven years that would one day be on the throne. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat stole Joash away, hid him in the temple, and Jehoiada took charge of him for seven years. He raised him as his own son. Now, now I, I, I know that's wonky details, but you've got to identify the main characters in the story. But, but here's, here's what I want you to notice, that these, these main characters, that all of them have a major crisis. Look, look at verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. Now, I don't have much sympathy for evil people. But when you just for a moment set aside the fact that she's a wicked woman, and would you agree with me that this wicked woman has suffered a great loss? She is a widow, and her son has just been killed. She has raised him knowing that one day he would be the king. That's all over. She'll never again look in his face. She'll never again talk to him. She'll never again prepare him a meal. She'll never again admire him from a distance. Set aside her wickedness. Set aside her evil heart for a moment. She has suffered a tremendous loss. There's no justification in what she does. But her heart has been crushed. What she does, she does out of bitterness. She does out of anger. She does out of grief. But she's had a great crisis in her life. But you know, she's not the only one. Look, look again in verse 2. Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah. As much as Athaliah has had a major crisis in her life, Jehoshaphat's had a crisis in her life too. If you can keep all the family relations straight, you realize that Jehoshaphat has lost her brother. And her mother goes crazy by literally killing all of the blood relatives. I mean, sons and nephews, I mean, their own flesh and blood. And Joash was her grandson, was Athaliah's grandson, but she would have killed him if he somehow hadn't been overlooked. I know Athaliah's hurting, but so is Jehoshaphat. 
I don't want this to come across as, 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 as cold. But for every heartache that you're carrying, somebody else is carrying a heartache too. But please, please don't read this the wrong way. Please, please don't misunderstand this. There are people in our church, good people, that fall apart in the face of every crisis. And they require a great amount of support and counseling. And sometimes it's as if they are the only one with any trouble in their life. I'm going to tell you something. There are people in this room with a broken heart and their heart probably is breaking just as much as your heart is. And I, I'm not minimizing that at all, but, but you're not the only one with a crisis in your life. A failure is hurting, I understand that, but so is Jehoshaphat. But hey, wait a minute, think about Joash. He's probably too young to remember it, but he lost his dad. Ahaz, his father. His father's gone. His father will never play ball with him. His father will never take him hunting. I know, I know his dad's a wicked man, but it was his dad. This little boy's been thrust into a crisis. What about, what about Jehoiada? I was looking at this passage and I, I saw something I, I never saw. Hold your finger right here. Go back to 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles, and I, I know sometimes in my preaching it, it takes me a while to get it started, but I, I am going somewhere. But look at Second Chronicles 22. Look at verse number 10. But when Athaliah, Athaliah, wicked woman, the mother of Ahaziah, Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose, destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah, but Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, that, that's her daughter, the daughter of the king took Joash, that little boy, the son of Ahaziah and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain, put him and his nurse in the bedchamber. Now, I never knew this, but watch this. So Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest. Well, she was the sister of Ahaziah. Jehoiada is married to Jehoshaphat. That's a lot of names, a lot of names. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, daughter, daughter of the wicked queen. Her, her, her dad has died, her brother has died, her mother is evil, but she just so happens to be married to Jehoiada the priest. How many of you know that when your wife hurts, you hurt? When she struggles, you struggle. Her burdens become your burdens. Her heartaches become your heartaches. And, and, and when his wife lost a father, he lost a father-in-law. And when his wife lost a brother, he lost a brother-in-law. And when his wife feared what her mother would do to that baby child, he feared the same thing. So this priest takes on the burden of his husband and wife together and together they hide that baby boy for seven years. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. Main characters, major crisis, mutual crisis in this story and I know it's confusing to keep all the names straight, but all four characters in the story face a major crisis. This is a dysfunctional mess. There is so much pain and there is so much brokenness and there is so much damage that is done. And you know this family hates each other. You know this family is not going to get together for family reunion or Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know that they carry so much hurt in their heart. It is going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible to put this back together. How will they ever be a family again? How are you going to reconcile this mess? Maybe tonight someone says that's 
where I am. And your crisis, is, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not a mother trying to kill all the descendants. But tonight you're in a crisis and there is no way out. And I could give you a pep rally tonight. And I could tell you, I just feel like something good's about to happen. I don't know if it is or not. So I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if the marriage can be salvaged or not. I don't know if the wayward child is ever going to come back. I don't know if the cancer is going to go in remission. I don't know. I don't know if the finances are going to get any better and you're ever going to dig yourself out of that hole. And it doesn't matter whether you created the crisis or whether somebody else created the crisis, it's still a crisis and it still hurts and you still cry and sometimes you have faith and sometimes you don't have any faith. Main character's major crisis. Here's the third thing I want you to see. There are mixed choices. There's no question about Athalia's character. And there's, there's no question about her crisis. She lost her son. Her son will never be the king again. So here's what she decides. If my son can't be king, then nobody else is going to be king. If my son can't sit on the throne, I'll make sure no son sits on the throne. If I have to feel grief, I'm gonna make sure somebody else feels grief. If my heart is broken, I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that your heart is broken. And you may go through a crisis but you must not decide that since I hurt, I'm going to see to it that you hurt too. She is so short-sighted. She is so selfish. She is so wallowing in self-pity. She says, I'm going to destroy an entire line of heirs, even if it's my family. But if I hurt, you're going to hurt. But then there's Jehoshaphat. And Athalia said, I'm going to strike out in my anger, in my bitterness. And if I can't be happy, then nobody's going to be happy. And Jehoshaphat said, my heart is hurting too. My brother can't reign. My brother is dead. I'm in my own crisis too. But I wonder if there's somebody else that I can help reign. My brother was a wicked man. He died in the judgment of God, but I'm not gonna let that make me bitter and angry. Even in this crisis, I'm going to see if I can pour my life into somebody else and I'm gonna see if I can use my pain to help somebody else. Some of you sit here and if you were to tell me your story, you would not be able to do it without tears welling up in your eyes. And you had a loved one that was taken away too, too early. You have a son or a daughter that's gone to the world and you can't pray them back. But you've got a choice. And your choice could be, if I hurt, I'm gonna make sure that you hurt. Or you could say that I want this crisis to be the door of opportunity to help somebody else. My son may be gone, but I'm gonna help another son make it. My, my daughter may not be coming back, but I'm gonna pour my life into another daughter. And Lord, I would have never picked this, but it has happened, and I'm not gonna let it destroy the rest of my family. Main characters, major crisis, major crisis, mixed choices. I want you to notice the method of concealment. Look at verse three. He was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. Jehoshaphat went to that place of Karn and saw all those who'd been killed. She sees that one little baby. 
And she's going to steal this baby away. She's going to hide him like baby Moses. And she says, I need a safe place. I, I, I need to hide him somewhere where the world can't get to him. I, I need a refuge. I need a haven. I've got to hide. I've got to hide him. I've got to have a place where I can trust with the life of this child. Do you know where she decided to? I'm going to hide him in the house of the Lord. Do you know tonight that that is God's plan for this church, for it to be a haven and for it to be a refuge, for it to be a safe place for your family and for your children. We have said this week that the devil is out to destroy your children and destroy your home and destroy your marriage and destroy your future. There is no safer place tonight to raise your children than in the house of God. They are safe in this environment. They're safe in this Sunday school. They're safe sitting under the preaching of this preacher. I'm gonna hide. I need a safe place. Need a safe. I'm gonna hide him. And, and notice the word. Notice the word. It's found several times. He was with her. Hid. Hid. I, I don't want to read too much into this, but 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 she she brought him here to the house of the Lord, not just for an hour or two. She didn't just bring him on Sunday morning. No, she left him there. She brought him, now, now stay with me, she brought him there and he stayed there. He stays there for six years and by the time he becomes king, for seven years. Now, nobody expects you to come over here every day and just hang out every day, all right? Please, please understand. But I have heard people complain, man, all we do is go to church all the time. I mean, we have revival Monday through Friday. Other churches just Monday through Wednesday. No, our preacher's got to go all the way through Friday night. Doesn't he know we have more important things all the time we are at church? I'm going to tell you something. It might as well become your second home. That's what it ought to be. Amen. You can't, listen, you cannot, you cannot get too much church in your kids. Amen. Your family is not going to suffer from too much church. Your young person is not going to suffer from an overdose of preaching and singing and worship. Now, I, I would be reading between the lines to imagine how his life was conducted during these six years. There's got to be security and, and there's got to be secrecy and, and surely it is a tight circle of people who know that he is even there. He is kept hidden away. So I don't imagine he's running around the temple all right, playing around. But I am saying that he is brought up in the temple so it was natural for him to be there. It would have been odd for him in later years not to be at the temple because growing up, that's pretty much all that he knew. I'm not trying to stretch the analogy too far and I'm still working on the message, all right? So it's got rough edges right now, but I want my children and my grandchildren to grow up around church and I want it to be natural for them and just the thing to be. When my grandkids get in the car with their mom and daddy, they go on one of three things. Are we going to Mimi's house? Are we going to church? Are we going to Walmart? Huh? Amen. Yeah, yeah. And you do what you want to in our church. In our church, in our church, we let little kids come up on the platform. We do. We do. I let them play with microphones. You know, microphones are five hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. I let them play with them. I play with them. They turn microphone. We get another microphone. 
But I'm going to tell you something. If you let that three or four-year-old hold a microphone and sing, when he turns 13 and 14, you won't have to make him. Amen. 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 That boy died right there. I want them to be comfortable around this. Because I'm telling you, the only place that I can think of right now that I can protect my children from this wicked world is the house of God. The youth program is not just a side thing that we do on an off night. No, it is the main thing. It is the purpose. It is a major thing that we do with our church. It is to be a haven for our young people. Method of concealment hid him in the house. In the house. Let me show you the miraculous conclusion. Look at verse 4. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds of captains and guards, brought them to him into the house of the Lord, made a covenant with them, took an oath of them in the house of the Lord, and showed them the king's son. Skip down to verse 12. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony that made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. Wicked woman of they. Wicked queen, wicked queen. My son ain't going to be king. Ain't nobody going to be king. If I'm going to hurt, everybody's going to hurt. If I lose my children, I'll make sure you see you lose your children. Does everything she can to destroy the scene. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat says no. I've had my own crisis. I've had my own pain. But maybe God can use me to help somebody else. Takes that little baby boy when the world is trying to destroy him at an early age. Hides him in the house of the Lord seven years. Seven years, Jehoiada the priest says it's time. It's time. Jehoiada goes and calls all the Levites. You read Second Chronicles, calls all the Levites come in and they come up with this plan. He tells them what's been going on for the last seven years. You know, those Levites rejoiced to think there is one of the royal seeds still left. Say has been ruling the land, but there is one. They arrange the coronation where they'll bring Joash out, introduce him to the nation, they'll anoint him as king. If you read the verses that I skipped in between there, he sets up guards, puts them into three different places. You guard the house of Athey if she tries to get out. You guard these, these entrances. This is the day that Joash is anointed as king of Israel. Did you know that that seven-year-old boy, Joash, would reign for the next 40 years? be one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. <laughs> I'll just give this to you. Just give, just give it to you and you just think and chew on it. Second Chronicles 24, there's, there's, there's an incident in the life of Joash. Later on when he becomes king, there's an incident in the reign of Joash the king where Joash gets to looking at the house of God and he notices it, it is in ill repair. Carpets faded, walls need painted, <laughs> It's just, there's some work that needs to be done. And he calls the people to gather. He says, we need to raise some money to renovate the house of God. And they set a chest up there by the gate. It becomes known as the chest of Joash. They have to empty that thing twice a day. People put so much money into it. And here's the thought that I had today. For all those years, that little boy was hid in the house of God, and he was a taker. He was a taker. The house of God took care of him. But there came a day when he became a giver. 
For all those years, the house of God took care of him. But now he's going to take care of the house of God. It's a great blessing. It's a great blessing. You watch these little children grow up, grow up, and they're just taken. And they're just taken. But one day you'll see them serving, singing, teaching children's church. You'll see them out on visitation. For all those years, for all those years, church took care of them. Come a day. They'll take care of the church. It's a great day when you're not just a taker. You become a giver. I got to be done. I got to be done. But I want to show you just one verse, one verse, one verse. I want you to look at verse number 10. All these men get armed together and they're getting ready to bring him out. And if you'll notice in verse number 10, a strange little phrase. And to the captains over hundreds did the priests give King David's spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. When Jehoiada the priest gathered the captains and the guards together, he stationed them at certain points along the way. They didn't know if there'd be trouble or not, but we've got to be armed and be ready. And they took David's spears and shields. David's been dead for 200 years. You study this out tonight. In 1 Samuel 17, David killed Goliath and he took Goliath's sword and spear as a prize of war. And I'll spare you all of the history. That sword eventually made its way to the house of God in Shiloh. And I know that because one day David had to flee from Saul when he threw a javelin at him and he had to flee. And he went by the house of God and that priest gave him the showbread. You remember that? And David said, he said, boy, I need a weapon. Man, I just need a weapon. And Himlech said, the priest said, you know what? There is a sword here, Goliath's sword. It really belongs to you. That sword, that sword had been stored up in the house of God. What do you imagine it'd be like to take your boy to the temple, see that big sword and that little boy say, hey, daddy, what's that? Oh, son, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story about David and Goliath. Let me tell you what that sword means. David become a mighty warrior. And, 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 and if you look, 1 Samuel chapter 8, I believe it is, or maybe chapter 11, Several times it talks about how David would take the brass and the gold and the swords and the shields from those battles and he would bring it back to the house of God. And over those years, they would line the walls with the exploits of the victories of King David. David never forgot where his help came from. He always remembered that it was God who won those battles and those swords and those shields would line the temple. And when you'd come in, it would remind you of the battles that that man had won and the victories that God had given you. Fast forward 200 years. David has been dead for hundreds of years, but there is a young man that God wants to raise up to do a work for him. And they take the swords and the spears that David had collected from the victories that he had won and they used those swords to help that young man do a work for God. I tell you tonight that your greatest ministry is within the four walls of your house and you must want your children to be godly and holy but your children are going to face enemies greater than you ever face. They're going to face temptations that greater than you ever face. If you think it is difficult to be a Christian in this society, stick around for the next 20 and 30 years and I promise you that if the Lord tarries, society becomes more anti-Christian and anti-Bible and anti-God and there will always be another battle 
and there'll always be more challenges. And the greatest thing that I can leave my children are some old rusty swords and some shields and some mementos of some victories that I've won that one day when daddy is gone, they can pick up that sword, they can pick up that memory and go on and do work for God. I'll, I'll never leave my children a lot of money. I'll never leave my children big lands and a fortune, but if I could leave my children a wore out Bible, if I could teach my children how to get a hold of God, if I could teach my children that daddy knew how to get a prayer answered, this is what it means to live with convictions, this is what it means to stand strong, then one day when daddy's gone and daddy can't pray for him anymore, one day they'll be able to pick up the sword that daddy had and the sword they saw that daddy won some victories and go on and do a Work for God. Major crisis, and you're going to face them. And maybe tonight you can't help but weep, and your heart breaks, and I can't reverse it. But you've got a choice. I'm going to take it, and if I hurt, I'm going to make you hurt. And if I'm going to be bitter and angry, make you bitter and angry. And if my children can't serve God, I'm not going to help you. And you can take that crisis tonight. And see these young men? See these girls right here? I'm going to win some battles. I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to learn how to get God to answer my prayer. I'm going to help them. And I'm going to provide them with what they need to go on do work for God. Bow your heads with me tonight. Heads about eyes closed.